right, give it up for Josh. Well, Salt Company, guys, it is uh, really great to, to be with you guys tonight. Um, as Rudy mentioned, Josh mentioned, my name is Rob. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Doxa. And if uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, that makes sense. Rudy and Katie, they don't let me come to Salt Company that often anymore. I'm over 40 now, and so apparently there's something in the Salt bylaws that old people can't come. So, But occasionally, they let me come and teach the Bible, and I, I love to do that, and that's what we're going to do tonight. But guys, you're in the midst of this teaching series that is titled, I Am, all right? And over the last several weeks... You've been looking at just kind of different ways that Jesus has talked about himself, right? And we, we know throughout historical records that Jesus did say a lot of different things. And some of the things that he actually did say were things about himself. And he, he called himself different things, right? And we've been looking at this for the last several weeks, that he talked about himself being the bread of life. And then he said he's the light of the world. And then he said, I'm the good shepherd. And then he said, I'm the, the way and the truth and the life. And if you grew up in the church uh, and you're, you're familiar with the Bible, this might be like really common language to you. It makes complete sense to you. You've sang this in songs. You've, you've won trivia bowls through Awana and you know all this stuff. But maybe for a lot of you that are like me, you didn't grow up with that. And you hear these and you're kind of like, what the heck? Like, what is that supposed to mean? And, and really what we're doing through this teaching series is just asking a very real question. What the heck does all this mean? Right? Because maybe you hear this and at face value, you're just kind of looking at it and it's just like, it's just strange. Like Jesus says these, these things, I am the bread of life. Like, okay, like what does that mean? But here's the thing I'll tell you guys. When people say, this is who I am. Guys, that's really important for us to kind of perk up and pay attention because this is how we understand the identity of the person that we're interacting with, okay? And this is why I love this series, guys, and I think it's so important. I'm going to have you look at this this sentence that's going to pop up here on the screen, all right? One of the more brilliant men over the last century of the world was a man named A.W. Tozer. All right, and in his book, The The Knowledge of the Holy, if you haven't read it, you, you totally should look into this and read it. But he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I just want you to think about that. You know, I I remember being a, a senior in college. I was in a room much like this, trying to figure out what actually I believed about God. Didn't grow up in the church, didn't have any background of the Bible, didn't really know who God was. I remember going to my first Bible study and they were like, open up to John 3, 16. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, right? And it's just like, knew nothing. And I kind of had this vague belief that, and I think it's probable and maybe even likely that there is a God, but I had no idea what he was like or if you could even know him. And I remember hearing this quote, And it was really just kind of like a a sharp wake-up call for me to kind of examine the connection with my thoughts about God and then everything else about my life. And I've used this quote a number of times since I've been teaching the Bible because it helps people to just kind of take a step back and reflect on that connection of what we believe and how that's impacting our life. But I began to ask, man, the very real question, like, what is it that I believe about God? What kind of God do I actually believe in? What kind of God don't I believe in? And how does what I believe actually shape the life that I currently live? And Salt Company, I want to tell you this. I need you to know this, guys. When we, when we think about God, 
and what you think about God determines so much about us. And if we get it wrong about God, it doesn't matter in many ways what else we get right. Guys, it's that important. And so what we're doing with this teaching series is really just cutting through all the clutter, all the noise that our culture in our world has, that in our day to day, it's full of like ideologies of relativism and pluralism and syncretism, where really there is no real truth and no way to understand absolutely for sure who God is and who Jesus is. And many will assert that there is no way that we can actually answer a question like, what is God like? Because I want to tell you, the reality is, there is a way to know what God is like. And there's a way to think rightly about him. And it's through his words to us in the Bible that we consistently look at every time we gather at Salt Company. And when we think about the Bible, guys, we're we're talking about a book that's ultimately made up and comprised of 66 books written by some 40 different authors over the course of about 1,500 to 2,000 years. But it's one story. Your Bible is about one story that revolves around one person, and his name is Jesus. That every single page of your Bible actually points you to Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a good man that lived long ago, but we're talking about the God-man that lives today. And through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we learn that all of Jesus' claims to be God are in fact vindicated and validated And so when we hear Jesus say, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the way and the truth and the life, guys, this is so incredibly significant. Because in these moments, I just need you to understand that the God of the universe is breaking into your moment right now to try and tell you, to try and tell us something about who he is and what he is like so we can think rightly about him and ultimately think rightly about the life that we live and what we will do with who he is. You tracking with me? This is so significant what we're doing. This is not just kind of like a a fun, like teaching series that Rudy's just super creative. He's a brilliant man. But guys, this is really, really important. It has all to do with our lives tonight. And tonight we're gonna hear from Jesus again and he's gonna say another seemingly strange thing about himself. You just heard it. He says, I am the vine. This is what we just heard Josh read just a moment ago, but as we get into this tonight, we're going to get to answer a really big question, and it's this. What matters most to Jesus? Have you thought about that, Christian? Or non-Christian, like wherever you're at. Like, have you actually thought about that question? Like, what matters most to Jesus? How would you actually answer that? Maybe some of you, as you're thinking about that, you think, man, I think what matters most to Jesus right now is that I just need to clean up my life and just be a better person. Or what matters most to Jesus is that I just stop getting hammered every single weekend and getting in fights. Or what matters most to Jesus is I just got to stop hooking up with every single guy that I meet. Or I got to stop looking at pornography. I got to, st- I got to change my life. I got, to, I got to get into myself like that I can just be a productive member of society. I got to get a good job. I got, to, I got to really be successful. We might think about so many different things. But guys, what Jesus is going to say to us tonight is going to help us to understand what matters most to him. And the big idea is this. Salt Company, the ultimate goal of your life is to be fruitful. You might have a lot of goals for your life, but the ultimate goal of your life is to be fruitful. 
And so let's get into this. I'm going to walk through this passage. We're going to make a few observations, and then we're going to get to the end and make a few applications. But look back to John 15, verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. All we're looking at tonight is red letters. This is direct words from Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So I'm going to stop there, okay? There's some imagery in this passage that might not strike us like it would have struck a, a Jew in the first century hearing this from Jesus. But when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, guys, this is loaded with meaning. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of the vine was used to talk about God's people. All right, so in the Old Testament, the idea in the imagery of the vine, it was always Israel or the people of God. Okay, and what's so interesting is that most every time, as you read this throughout your Bible, most every time vine language is used in the Old Testament, it's used negatively. And so in the Old Testament, when Israel was the vine, it was almost always accompanied by a declaration that they were the vine and they weren't bearing any fruit, therefore the wrath of God was coming. And so when Jesus was talking about this and the Jews of the time were listening to this, they heard the vine terminology in the first century. It was almost always connected to a pronouncement of judgment. But if you look back, what do we see? Guys, Jesus is kind of turning that idea on its head. And he actually says, no, 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 this is not so much about you. This is about me. I am the true vine. And so in short, what Jesus is saying, he's like, I'm doing what you cannot do. And I'm going to be who you have not been able to be. And guys, this is nothing short of good news, right? I mean, this is gospel news right here from Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, I'm entering into the failures of humanity. I'm going to enter into your failures, your shortcomings. And he's saying to us, he's saying to you right now, I got this. I got you. I'm going to do this for you. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the vine. He's saying, you've not been able to be fruitful in a way that pleases God, but I got you. And so Jesus is stepping into humanity's mess of how we, none of us, guys, none of us in here, live the way that we should we do things that we shouldn't do. We don't do things that we should do. We're constantly messing up. We're, we're marked by failures. And Jesus doesn't look at us and say, you're pathetic. Some of you have a view of God like that because you grew up with fathers like that. And we tend to project the, the experiences of our fathers on our heavenly father. But I need you to know that Jesus, our God, is not like that. He's not looking at us and saying, you're pathetic. You're a failure. He's looking at you and saying, I love you and I got you. And this was crazy for the people hearing this in the first century, but it's also crazy for us to hear tonight because Jesus is saying the type of fruitfulness in your life that pleases the Lord, that you've been unable to produce and walk in, Jesus says, I'm going to now make it possible for you. And so he uses this viticultural language, okay? He uses this, I mean, think like Napa Valley, right? He's talking about a vine and grapes, wine, all this stuff. He uses this as a metaphor, and he goes on to say this. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, here's the picture that we need to see in order to understand this metaphor, okay? So we have the vine. And the vine is Jesus, okay? And so just like a vine gives life and nourishment to the branches so it can grow and produce fruit, so Jesus does that in our lives. All right, that Jesus is the vine. But we also see that there's branches mentioned here. Guys, this is us. 
that as Christians, we're branches attached to the vine that is Jesus, and we are receiving from Jesus, which enables us to bear fruit. Because we look down at verse 5, what Josh read, apart from him, we can do nothing. So we are the branches connected to the vine, and he nourishes us, gives us life, so we can actually produce fruit. But then you also see the vine dresser, all right, which is really just a word for gardener. And so this is God the Father. And we're going to see how God the Father, the gardener, in this metaphor, actually is doing two things. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But here's what we learn about what's most important to Jesus, guys. It's fruitfulness. Salt Company, I need you to hear this. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. And so if you look at your life, and I don't want you looking at your neighbor's life or your roommate's life, when you look at your life, if there's no long-term fruit, there might be not real genuine faith. So this is a call for us to just examine our life. Like, are we playing church? Are we playing college ministry? Are we doing all that stuff that outside we look good? We got the facade. We know how to do the Christian plastic thing. But is there any real genuine faith? Fruit is the, the answer. Now, as we talk about fruit, guys, we, we have to define fruit. Because how you define fruit really, really, really matters, okay? So if you define fruit in terms of, like, external, moral, religious terms and works, guys, we're no different from the Pharisees that we see in the Gospels. And Jesus had a lot of hard things to say to them because they were just fake. They were plastic. They put on a good show. They tried to be really moral. They tried to follow the rules, but they were like whitewashed tombs. They looked good from the outside, but inside they were a mess because they hadn't been made new. They hadn't had their sin problem fixed. But this is not how Jesus defines fruit. And so what do, we, what do we do with this? What, is, what does it look like to, to bear fruit? Does this mean that we've got to strive to be really successful, get a good job, make sure everybody respects us and likes us? Guys, it's not that. I want you to look at this. Galatians chapter 5 is going to pop up here on the screen. screen. This is how God defines this fruit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to notice, guys, that it's not fruits. All right? It's, it's not plural. It's singular. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when we talk about, when Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, this is what he's talking about. And guys, this is not plural because they're all connected to each other. And this is not something that we can produce on our own. This is the whole point of this. This is why Jesus says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I know some of you, you're here, and this is altogether new for you. The Bible's new, church is new, having a pastor up here talking at you is, is new. And you might be tempted to think, like, how do I fit into a place like this? Well, I, I, gotta, I gotta act right, I gotta, I gotta do this. You can't produce any fruit apart from being connected to the vine. But guys, these are not singular fruit. Or these are not plural fruit, these are singular. All right, because if you pull one out and you make it singular, it doesn't work because they're interconnected. That if, look, look at this, if just look, at, if you lack patience, then you're probably not loving, right? If you lack love, then you probably aren't walking in any real joy. If you lack joy, you're probably lacking in kindness. If you lack kindness, you're probably walking in a lot, and not walking in a lot of goodness. 
If you lack goodness, you aren't probably faithful. And if you lack faithfulness, then you're probably not gentle. You see how this works? This is ah fruit that grows systematically and symmetrically over time. And so when you see this happening here, guys, when we read Galatians chapter 5, put that back up there, okay? Galatians chapter 5. Just take a look. Here's what happens. Guys, no one in this room, as we read that, is just thinking like, nailed it, right? Man, I, I'm doing great. I feel so encouraged. Thanks, Rob. This is great. Let's get the band up here. I'll grab some Taco Bell on the way home. This is a great night. None of us are thinking that. Not one of us, including myself. This is not where we find ourselves. We don't naturally have this. And even for myself, I'm not where I once was, but guys, I'll tell you, I'm not where I want to be and where God wants me to be, but I'm growing towards that, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the Lord, in his kindness, he helps us so that we can grow in these areas. It's not about us doing it, but it's about God helping us to do this. I need you to understand this. Please understand this, guys. The Christian life is not something that we live for God. Do you know that? The Christian life is not something that we live for God, but it's something that God lives through us, through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. This is what he's talking about. And he helps us. And we see two ways that God helps us to be fruitful from verse 2. If you look back, I want to show you these. First, in verse 2, it says that he takes away. All right, other versions that you might have in your Bible say that he, he cuts off. All right, and so if you look at the original Greek in this, this section, which the New Testament was written in Greek, the, the word there for take away or, or cut off is the word Ares. All right, and Ares is, is a word that's used some 24 times throughout the New Testament and actually can mean two different things. It can actually mean to take away, but it can also mean to raise up and to lift up. And so what happens is some people will see this in this passage in light of judgment. And they'll say, well, when you don't bear fruit, we're, we're taken away. God takes us away as the gardener. He, he cuts us off. So you picture a gardener kind of walking through his garden. He sees a vine. He sees some with, or he sees the branches. Some have fruit on it. Some don't have fruit. And the ones that don't bear fruit, the gardener's like, well, this one's useless. Let's just cut it off and we'll, we'll throw it away. Humbly, I don't think this is right. I think more accurately, it's not to be taken away or to cut off, but it's to be lifted up and to raised up. And it comes when we understand how Jews would take care and tend to a vine. So in antiquity, almost every Israelite would have a vine that would produce food and nutrients. And I want to show you this picture, okay? So when we think about how we grow vines, you're thinking like California, Napa Valley, we have a trellis, we just let it go up, and then there's a big vine like that. That's not how Jews tend to their vines. Can you throw up that picture there, Zay? This is how it looks. They're actually on the ground, all right? That vines like lay on the ground. And as they're growing on the ground, they're bearing fruit. And as the branches are abiding and they're staying connected to the vine, some of them, they get strong and they begin to stand up on their own. But there's some branches that remain weak and they actually stay on the ground. And when they're on the ground, they don't have the proper aeration. They're not getting the nutrients. And so what the gardener does is literally they take a big rock and they put it underneath the weak branches to lift it up. This is what Jesus is talking about. 
Because when the gardener would come and lift up the vine or the branch that was not bearing fruit, it would allow aeration to happen. It would allow nutrients to come from the vine. And over time, not immediately, but the next harvest season, that fruitless branch would then bear more fruit, which is the goal of God in your life. And I I share that, guys, and I hope that brings comfort and perspective to some of you. I know that there's some of you in here that maybe you're just weak right now. You look at your life, and there's not a whole lot of fruit. There's, there's maybe some sin. You're kind of like laying on the ground. You're, you're wrestling with, with doubts. You're struggling. And maybe you're tempted to think, like, God is just, like, so mad at me. Jesus wants to remind you how good of a father we have in God. That he comes and he doesn't just cut you off and throw you away, but as a loving dad, he comes and he lifts you up. And he says, I'm going to help you. You're struggling right now. You're weak right now. Let me help you bear fruit. And he gently comes to us and he lifts us up. Does anybody get any joy from that? One guy. Thank you. I love that you're right up front. Okay? But this is awesome. This is a picture of the goodness of God, that I really don't believe that this passage is about judgment and that God is cutting us off, but it's about him helping us. And that's why he says in verse three, if you look back, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, that these are actual branches, that they're in the vine. These are children of God that he's referring to. That verse three, guys, is is really all about the gospel. And so when you think about the, the main thing about your life, the goal of your life being fruitfulness, I need you to understand this cleanliness before fruitfulness. You get that? If you mix it up, everything gets jacked up and you lose the gospel. Cleanliness before fruitfulness. That we come to Jesus and he says in verse 3, he makes us clean. And when he brings about cleanliness, then he can start to produce fruitfulness. You get it? You tracking with me? And so what I'm saying this for is because some of you are here and you're like me when I was in college. You're not a Christian. I desperately do not want you to walk out of this place thinking, I just need to be fruitful. If you're not a Christian, I want you to walk out of this place thinking, man, I need to be clean. Because without Jesus, guys, the gospel is this. There is a God and we're not him. And he created us to be in relationship with him. Sin entered into the world, which is a very real part of every single one of our lives. And sin just makes us dirty. And it separates us from God. And there's no amount of tied sticks and bleach that you can put on yourself. And no amount of works and no amount of religion or philanthropy that you can do that makes you clean. And you'll try this. Many people turn to counseling and life coaching and they start to give away a lot of money and they think like, this is what is going to make me clean. Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I make you clean. I forgive sin. Come to me. And when we come to Jesus in faith and say, you are God, I am not. I have sin that is keeping me from God. I need you to take it. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. He makes us clean. And we join back into the relationship with God that we were created to have, where we're in the vine and we are a branch. And then, 
that we begin to walk with Jesus and start to bear fruit. We can't bear fruit on our own. That's the whole point that Jesus is talking about here. And so he lifts us up. He raises us up to help us to be more fruitful. But the second thing the vine dresser does, we see in verse 2 as well, that he says he prunes. You see that? And I want to explain this to you, okay? Because as the branches are, are growing on the vine and they're producing fruit, there are times, now I'm not a gardener, okay? I'm, I, no gardeners wear flat bills, okay? I'm, it's clearly I'm not a gardener, okay? Maybe some of the guys wearing flannel in here, your gardeners, you can check this out with them. But as, as vines and branches grow, there's at times where the, where the gardener will come by and they will prune the branches. And the gardener does this because when he cuts away some of the things that get in the way of growth, that eventually more fruit will be produced. And I want you to know this, okay? Spiritual pruning enhances spiritual growth by removing whatever inhibits spiritual growth in our lives. That pruning is the action taken by a gardener to cut away or lop off any growth on a branch or a tree that is undesirable in order to produce more long-term fruit and growth. That sometimes, like little sucklings, will grow on a branch. And those little sucklings, they'll actually inhibit the ability of a branch to actually bear fruit. And so a gardener will come around and it will chop off, it will, it will prune off those little sucklings. And Salt Company, Jesus is saying that God the Father does the same thing in our lives. That out of his great love for us, he will lead us through times of pruning. And sometimes this hurts. But I need you to understand there's a difference between hurt and harm. That God is a good father and he's never going to harm us. But sometimes he will lead us through things for our good to help us to grow. Because there's things in our life that are inhibiting us from becoming the men and women he's created us to be. And it might be hard and it might hurt to go through that. Because sometimes it's hard to lose an idol. Sometimes it's hard to let go of sin. And I'll tell you guys, the two largest moments of growth in my life as it relates to what we're talking about, number one was dealing with the emotional pain and all the insecurities and the shame and the guilt that I had with my dad growing up who ultimately killed himself. Going through and reliving that was one of the hardest things I've ever went through came out a totally different man. Not a perfect man, but a, God, a man that's bearing more fruit. And the second was just a couple of years ago with losing two of my best friends. There were times of, of pruning for me where I walked through these hard seasons and it hurt. But God used it to help me to grow into the man that I am today. And I know some of you know me and you're like, you're not that great, Rob. I know, God's still gonna be some pruning, okay? I'm just trying to gird my loins and I'll get ready for it, okay? But, but guys, let me be clear. I don't desire to go through either of those seasons ever again, okay? I'm not standing here and being like, let's do it again. Come on, another one, right? I'm not trying to do that. Because it was hard. But I will tell you this. And I need you to understand this, guys. If you're in a season where you feel like you're being pruned or you're in a season where things just seem hard or you're experiencing like loss or you're wrestling with doubt and dealing with fear and anxiety and relationship issues and pain, 
please hear me on this. That doesn't mean that you did anything wrong and that God is punishing you for something. Now, it actually might be because you're stupid and you're reaping what you're sowing. Okay? That's a possibility. But I just need you to understand, it might be that God is just a good father and he's pruning you. There's times in every single one of our lives where God will allow us to go through things to prune us so that he can help remove the things in our lives, be it sin or idols or insecurities, whatever it might be, so that we can grow into who he created us to be, which is full of fruit, which is the ultimate goal of our lives. Because hear this, when we're fruitful, guys, it gives glory to God as a witness to the world that God is real, that Jesus is God, and that he is who he says he is. I mean, this is what Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 2 talk about what the purpose is of good works. It's to glorify God in heaven and be a witness. But it also adds to our joy in life, which if you look down to verse 11, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's trying to heighten our joy, and he knows if there's those sucklings on our life that are going to keep us from being who he's created us to be, he's going to be good enough to help us remove those. Let's keep going. Jesus says in verse 4, abide in me. I want you to circle that in your Bible. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now this is huge. All right, Jesus is saying the goal of your life is to bear fruit. But you can't bear fruit on your own, that you need him. And so Jesus, he comes to us, that we really, our response is to Jesus coming to us. He comes to us, he makes us clean, and then he tells us to abide in him where he causes us to be able to bear fruit. Guys, this is the progression. Come to Jesus, made clean, we abide in him, and then he causes us to bear fruit. So that word abide is big, and it's used a lot here, so we need to understand it. But here's what you need to know about the word abide, okay? Abide literally means to live in. It means to continue in, to remain in, and so to abide in Christ is really just to live in him. It's to remain in Jesus. It's to love Jesus. It's to love Jesus, as he says elsewhere, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. It's everything that we have. And I, and I just need you to understand this. Look back to verses 8 and 9. Guys, there's this cycle of dependence occurring here that I think many people don't quite understand. All right, that many people, they, they read this text and they say, okay, I'm looking at this. I see that if I obey his commands, then I will b- abide in his love. But that's not what Jesus is saying. All right, Jesus says, if you abide in my love, then you'll obey my commands. Do you see the difference? Abiding in his love will lead to a life change. And so it's not obey my commands and then you'll abide in me and and love me, but rather grow in your love for me and abide and then you're going to obey my commands. And this is so important 
Because when you get this backwards, and there's a chance in a room like this that some of you have got this backwards, you enslave yourself to religion and morality. And you actually step out of the life, the Christian life that Jesus talks about throughout the scriptures. See, for Jesus, it's not do and then you might be loved and approved, but it's love. Therefore, that will make you do. And so Salt Company, just understand this. Growth and fruitfulness begins with abiding in the love of God. That's where we start. We start with the vine. We abide and grow in love for God, and that produces spiritual fruit in our lives and brings glory to God and joy to us as we give a witness to those around us. So, this is the 30,000-foot principle. What does this actually look like played out in my life? Like maybe you're thinking, okay, I kind of I get that, but how do I actually abide? Like how do I actually produce spiritual fruit like Galatians 5 talks about? If you're asking that question, what you're ultimately asking is like, how do I grow spiritually? And maybe you're like really frustrated, you're looking around at people and they seem to be growing and they're, they're, they have a certain level of joy and you're just like, I'm not there. Because I don't want to overcomplicate this. I want to help you tonight. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I want, you to, I want to help you know how you can grow and how you can actually abide. There's three components that we actually see here in this text. All right, first, if you look back to verses 3, 10, and 11, we see these words. Commandments, things I have spoken, and the words I have spoken. So the first way to abide in Jesus where we're growing in love for him, living with him, remaining in him, is by filling ourselves with his word. This is the first way. 2 Timothy 3.16, just listen to this. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every word of your Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the very words of God. It's breathed out by God. And, and Paul goes on to say, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what this means is that time spent in your Bible is time spent with God. Do you understand that? Some of you are like, I've never heard God speak to me. You want to hear God speak to you tonight? Go home as you lay in bed, read the Bible out loud. You will hear God's voice. The Bible is God's words to us. And so the word of God is powerful and it's life-giving. Listen to the way Jesus says it in John 6, 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So it's the spirit of God who gives life to us through the word of God. And Jesus' words are those words. And so when we do what scripture says and meditate on God's word day and night and we're filling our mind with this, guys, we're abiding. It's growing love in us because the spirit of God is working through the word of God. And so I hope that changes the way that you view the Bible in your hand. It's not that you have to read your Bible to get God to love you. It's that you get to read your Bible to experience the love that God has for you. You get that? The second way we abide is seen in verse 7. Look back. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
Okay, Jesus is talking about prayer. All right, that prayer is just, when he says ask, this is talking to God. Guys, prayer is communion and communication with God. And it's one of the ways that we abide. And this is implicit in verse 7, the idea of prayer. And guys, prayer can be very simple, and for many of us it is, but prayer also takes us to the very heights of communion with God. And Saul Company, I want you to know this, guys. Prayer, I can't overstate the importance of prayer. It's the key to the Christian life. It's a journey that I'm on. It's a journey that your salt staff is on. It's a journey that this church is on. Is that there is something that I feel like that many people miss out on in terms of abiding and growing deep with Jesus and experiencing intimacy with Jesus and the love of Jesus because we do not know how to pray because, or pray because it seems like we're wasting time. We're just sitting there. But I want you to understand this about prayer. All right, prayer is not so much about getting something from somebody, but it's spending time with someone. Prayer is like how a little child is like crawling up on the lap of his dad just to be and to be loved. This is prayer. John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. That prayer is how we exercise faith. Prayer is how we move towards God. Prayer is how we communicate with God. Prayer is how we have fellowship with God. Prayer is how we abide in Jesus. And I'm convinced, guys, the weakness of our Christian lives, including myself, is due to weakness in prayer. And so let me just ask you this. How might your life be different if you were a person of prayer? Like how might your relationship with God be different? How might your joy be different if you were a person of prayer? Maybe this is the week where you set out to find out. And then finally, the third way we abide is through an observation of this entire metaphor. Because it's through community. All right, and maybe you're like, I didn't see the word community in here, right? I need you to see this. These branches are interconnected through the vine. All right, that there's connectivity and growth together through the vine. And the way I see this is togetherness with the vine. It's community. And I believe this is part of how we abide through togetherness with other branches that are connected to the vine. I think this is why in part the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 says don't neglect on meeting together as so many people are in the habit of doing, but gather together consistently and encourage one another. And I think about it like this, guys. As one of the pastors of Doxa, I get to get together with a lot of guys. And a lot of guys show up at Doxa because their wives make them come, right? And guys will say to me, I'll get together with them and be like, look, dude, I get it. My wife just made me meet with you here. You're not super pumped. You seem like a cool guy, but I'm not coming to Doxa. Okay. And they just like, I'm just, I'll drop off my wife. I'll drop off my kids, but I don't have to be in church to be a Christian. And as I talk to them, what they're effectively saying is that they can be a Christian on their own and they don't need community. And to that, I oftentimes just tell them, I'm like, you're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Jesus alone. But then I tell them this, I look at them and I'm like, you know, you also don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Part of the way we grow and we abide with Jesus is being connected with him. And not just him, but with other branches. You need community. If you're not in a connection group, like look, 
connection groups are not like these novel things that we're like, oh man, we're trying to innovate this and monetize it and we need to get as many people in there. It's, it's really for your good and for your joy. We'd love to help you do that. And so let me put a bow on this. I'm out of town. Rudy's going to let me hear about it at our teacher meeting next week. But here's what I'll say. What is Jesus like? He's the vine that gives us life. What matters most to Jesus? Our fruitfulness. Where does our ability to produce fruit come from? Abiding in Jesus the vine. Because apart from him we can do nothing. And how do we abide? His word in us through the Bible and prayer and community with other branches. Salt Company, I could teach this docs of kids on Sunday and they'd get it. It's very easy to understand. It's really hard to do. But I'll tell you, it's worth it. I've experienced the joy that comes from abiding with Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. In fact, let me just pray that for you now and we'll continue on. Father, I, I love you. I thank you for these students thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace that you came for us. Even when we weren't looking for you, you came looking for us to cleanse us of our sin. And Jesus, we just say thank you and that we love you. Thank you that you're patient with us, that you're kind to us, that even in those seasons where we're weak and we're down and we're not producing fruit, that you come graciously and you lift us up. And if there's struggling people in here tonight, would they just feel your presence and your love as you lift them up tonight? Raise them up. And because this is true of you, we say, Jesus, we love you. God, for those that are going through these seasons of pruning, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. Let them feel you, your presence with them. And the truth that you're not gonna just cut us off and lop us off, but you're gonna work for our good, your glory and our joy. And Jesus, because this is true, we love you. So help us to love you. And as we grow in love for you, would this lead us to abide so that we can do the thing that matters most to you, which is produce a lot of fruit for your glory and the good of the world. In Jesus' name.